I'll wait for the mass exodus. All right, since moving back to Menor, Ohio back in 2005 uh, and actively serving at Grace Church of Menor, there is nothing more humbling and really there's been no greater privilege than the opportunities that God has given me uh, to share his word with others. As some of you might know, uh, and for those of you that don't, this will be the last opportunity that I will have in the foreseeable future uh, to have this privilege. Over the past six months, I've been earnestly praying that God would clearly show me his perfect will. As part of that prayer, I asked that he would not only provide an amazing opportunity for me, but that he would also provide an amazing opportunity for my wife and children, as they truly have carried the greatest burden of my training here at Grace. Through the course of many conversations and investigations, into God's will, into various options, it became clear that God was asking us uh, to move to Atlanta, Georgia. After the school shooting in Florida, I began to really be burdened for the opportunity to reach kids in schools, uh, offering both physical and spiritual uh, protection. And at first I wasn't sure why I had this burden, uh, but I began to tell God that if being a pastor right now wasn't the best thing Uh, for our entire family, then I'd be willing uh, to consider options. And I asked him that uh, if one of those options could potentially be an opportunity to minister uh, to kids at schools. While I was going uh, through this process, on the recommendation of a friend, I reached out to Pastor Chris Anderson at Killian Hill Baptist Church. Pastor Chris told me that he didn't know of any pastoral positions, but that the week prior, he and his board had agreed to hire a director of security for the private school uh, that's associated with their church. He asked me if I had a burden for kids, especially uh, if I had a burden for lost kids. He also asked me if I had any experience in criminal justice, uh, even a degree in criminal justice, and as only God could arrange these things, I had both. As we converse about my training and my experience here at Grace and the things that I learned here, uh, our ministry burdens and his vision for both the church and the school, we were both blown away by how God had seemed to wire Stephanie and I to be a perfect fit for their ministry at this point in our life. So back in April, Steph and I took a four-day whirlwind trip to Atlanta uh, to personally meet with Chris and his wife, uh, his business manager, both principals, uh, the head of their school, and his wife, and several families from the school. Uh, We also attended services at the church and looked for houses. So that was a lot. It wasn't really a relaxing four-day trip, but uh, it helped us uh, see that this perhaps was a good option for us. So so for as much as we know God's will for our lives, uh, this ministry opportunity seems like the next right uh, step for our family. I'll just share a cool thing that happened in the middle of praying for this. I haven't heard from, I used to work at a rehab center for felons. I don't know if any of you know that. I worked there for about four years. Uh, It was a tremendous opportunity just to share the love of Christ to these people. So while I'm praying about this, I got an email from one of the guys, and I haven't heard from any of them in 13 years. And and he's out in Toledo, Ohio, a little west of Toledo, Ohio, and he just wanted to thank me. He tracked me down at Grace. I don't know how, it's kind of scary. I don't know who gave out my personal information. I didn't ask. 
Uh, but he emailed me and he said, Seth, I just want to let you know that uh, you had a tremendous impact on my life. Uh, I got saved, and uh, I'm now serving the Lord in a small local church, and I have two kids. Uh, so I really miss that uh, ability to impact a lot of unsaved kids, and I think that this will be a tremendous opportunity. Uh, half of the school is unsaved, so they're going to have around 150 kids or so show up at our doorsteps every day. And they really want me to invest in these kids. So I'll be doing a lot of counseling, uh, discipleship, and then looking over the physical safety of the school. The hard part of this next right step is that uh, both Stephanie and I recognize that this is a step away uh, from so many incredible relationships that we have here. So as we leave here at the end of this month, we want you to know how incredibly fortunate we feel to have had you all as part of our lives for the past 13 years. I especially want to thank you for the love and support that you guys have shown uh, to Stephanie uh, and my kids. Uh, Stephanie came from a different kind of a church environment, so it was a real step of faith for her to come here and to trust uh, Pastor Tim and the other pastors here. And uh, we wouldn't have changed the last 13 years uh, for anything in the world, so we just want to let you know how much we value you all and how much we appreciate you all. And one of the conversations we had with my mom about this move Uh, You can imagine that was a hard one. Uh, She said, I know I'm losing time with my grandkids now, uh, but I know that I will enjoy time with them for all eternity. So I hope that as painful as this move is for us and for many of you, that this is a thought that can govern all of our hearts. It is a thought of eternity and the souls and the families that we could potentially impact in Atlanta, Georgia, that motivates us to make this move. And I hope that it is the thought of eternity, and, uh, and it is the thought of eternity uh, spent with you all that I hope can bring us all comfort in the days ahead. As Stephanie and I began this journey 13 years ago, we never would have imagined the twists and turns the peaks and valleys, the highs and lows that would be part of our training. As I have considered the past 13 years and really uh, considered the course of my life, it is abundantly clear to me that as we pursue God's will for our lives, both times of testing and times of blessing will uh, be a part of all of our experiences. There's no other passage in all of Scripture that has really shaped my view of God during both times of testing and times of blessing uh, than the passage that we'll consider tonight. So if you could take your Bibles uh, and or your devices and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. When I taught college and career, I used to love to have them interact with me a little bit. So what I would like to do tonight is have four volunteers uh, to stand up and read these different sections of Scripture. I've broken this passage uh, down into four simple sections. I'd just like to read those sections a little at a time and make some commentary along the way, and then we'll conclude with some application that I hope uh, will be helpful for all of us. So would anyone like to volunteer, not now, but in a few minutes, uh, to read verses 1 to 6? You can just raise your hand. Thank you, JP, my college and career buddy. Way to look out for me. Verses 7 to 10, a few short verses. Any takers? Thank you, bud. Appreciate that. Uh, verses 11 to 18, and once again, we're not going to jump into these right away, but we will. Uh, yes, thank you, Mrs. Bear. And then 19 to 20. All right, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. So before we jump into this, uh, let's just pray real quick, and then we will quickly move through this passage of Scripture. 
Lord, I thank you so much for uh, the incredible privilege that you've given to me to once again open God's word. Uh, you know how much I love these people and uh, what a privilege and honor it is to just uh, try to articulate your heart uh, for us through this passage. Lord, I pray that I would do that accurately. I pray that I would do that first to myself, even as I teach, Lord. I pray that uh, some truth would touch all of our lives and that we would walk away uh, changed, um, seeking to become more like you and seeking to appreciate all the great uh, benefits we enjoy from you, both in times of significant testing and times of testing that you will certainly uh, bring into all of our lives. So I ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. So perhaps if, uh, as I've been talking, as you examine the course of your life, uh, would you two agree that both sustained times of testing and significant times of blessing will be a reality in all of our lives. In my 39 years on earth, I have certainly experienced some tremendous blessings. I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. Uh, what a privilege that is. I was blessed to accept Christ at a young age. An amazing privilege. Uh, I was blessed to have a dad who worked incredibly hard to provide for us, and a mom who also demonstrated selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional love. I was blessed to have Bob Potter as my first known pastor. I think I had a couple before that, but I didn't really know what was going on. Uh, but my first known pastor was Pastor Potter. I was blessed to have a second mom in Judy Potter, and really God gave me a lot of great second moms as I spent time around Grace Church of Menor. I was able to be the first male on my father's side to graduate from college. I'm blessed to be married to Stephanie, who's proven to be uh, the perfect helper for me. I was blessed to have four children. I am blessed to have four children. And actually, a week ago this Wednesday, I was blessed to see God answer a lifelong prayer, allowing Stephanie and I to demonstrate the love of Christ to a little girl who found herself in a hopeless and helpless condition, a, a condition that I, too, found myself in spiritually until God rescued me from that helpless condition. In my 39 years on earth, I've also experienced sustained times of testing, when I was a teenager, our family experienced what it was like to have a significant financial stability and blessing taken away after my dad was laid off and experienced an extended time on unemployment. A few years after that, I lost uh, my first boss and father figure to pancreatic cancer. If any of you have watched someone uh, suffer through that disease, it was a pretty, pretty brutal process. And to this day, the greatest regret I have in my life is that I never was bold enough to share the gospel with him. When all my Christian friends went away to Christian college to find Christian girls and then get an education, I think it was in that order. That's the way it felt back then. I experienced the lonely road of singleness at a, uh, at a secular university. Back in that day, Pastor Tim, not Pastor Kent, was the matchmaker. So every time I would come home to visit, I don't know if he remembers this, but he would reinforce my singleness uh, by trying to introduce me to the latest girl that he thought would be a good match for me. Uh, but all kidding aside, those single years were a real struggle for me as I lived alone in Bowling Green, Ohio, and was trying to wrestle through a lot of things in my life. And Pastor Tim was a huge help to me during those years. After experiencing the joy of our firstborn son, six months later, I got laid off of work. I spent the time by the bedside of my mom before having uh, surgery to remove her brain tumor. 
And then a few years later, I endured the greatest time of testing in my life so far, going from the hope of adopting our foster child to the pain and loss of not having that work out. As you examine your life and the life of those around you, I imagine that you too, once again, would agree that as we follow God and his will, both times of testing and times of blessing will be a reality in all of our lives. So how can we make it through these times, and what lessons can we learn? I believe that the passage we will consider tonight will teach us all that whether we are going through times of testing or whether we are experiencing times of blessing, we must never forget to rely on God and his word. So a little background and setting on the book of Deuteronomy. I wish I had time to explain a little bit more, but very simply, the majority of the book of Deuteronomy is composed of farewell speeches that Moses gives to Israel before he dies. The original recipients of this book were the second generation of the children of Israel. Israel at this point had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And it's interesting to know that if Israel would have obeyed the Lord and entered the land when he first told them to, the trip to get to the point where they're at now would have taken, I think, around 11 days, according to Deuteronomy 1-2. So that's an interesting lesson in and of itself. The actual location where these speeches took place was on the plains of Moab, east of the Jordan River. Uh, So if you have the Sea of Galilee, you have the Jordan River, the Salt Sea, they're on the other side of the Promised Land, and they're just about to cross over and enter in. And these are speeches that Moses is sharing with these individuals before he dies. So Moses, in the last few weeks of his life, commits these speeches to writing and gives Israel her final instructions uh, before entering the land. So what does Moses tell the children of Israel in this passage? JP, could you read verses 1 through 6 for us, please? So in verses 1 to 6, we see several lessons from the wilderness. First, we see the the need to avoid partial obedience in verse number 1. The Israelites were commanded to obey every commandment, not most, right? Not half, uh, but every commandment that God had given them. So how did the nation of Israel do with this? If you know your Bibles, they, they didn't do that well, right? And how did that work out for them? Not good. So how does it go for us when we pick and choose the commands of Scripture that we want to obey? I've done that before, right? And it's never gone well for me. Like the Israelites, you and I should never be comfortable with partial obedience. Next, we see several lessons from the difficult testing and training. Why did the Lord lead the Israelites through the wilderness? And I'm just going to read through uh, seven or eight of these. First, he says in verse number two, to humble them. He says he wanted to test them. He says he wanted to see what was in their hearts to see if they would obey his commandments or not. In summary, God had to prove their disobedience or their obedience. 
God led them into the desert where they had no alternative but to trust on him and rely on him and his word. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about some of the relationships that I have in my life that I really value. As I thought about these relationships, I wondered, why do I value them? What is the quality in their life that I really appreciate? Or what is the quality that really stands out to me? And one of the qualities that kept coming to my mind was humility. I then asked myself, what makes these individuals so humble? And to a person, each one of them had experienced a significant time of testing in which they proved their faithfulness by relying on God and his word. I just spent time over at, I think it was uh, Tom and Bridget. They used to come here, Lepner. They hosted a graduation party for Frank uh, Schneider, and we were in their house. And I think most of you know that their, I believe their oldest daughter uh, went through cancer, and it was a really difficult time for them. Well, you don't have to spend five minutes around them to know that those are some humble, kind, gracious people. And as I walked away from that, I'm like, what, like what, stand, what makes them that so humble, so kind, so gracious? And it's probably that they had been through a significant time of testing in their life where God really had to work out this humility. And I can say it's true in my life. As God's taking me through the trials that he's gone, at each trial, he's humbled me more and more and more and caused me to rely on him and his word more and more and more. But why else were they led through the wilderness? In verses 3 to 4, he says it's to increase their dependence on him. In verses 3 and 4, to demonstrate his unique ability to provide for their needs. To prove that their true ability to survive was based on God's word, not God's provision. Jesus actually quotes that when he's tempted by Satan. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but man will live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then finally, in verse 5, we see that Israel's sojourn in the wilderness was viewed as a time of God's discipline and training for his children. He was seeking to correct their attitudes so that they might be prepared to obediently go into the land. So how does this apply to you and I? As we read the scripture, we see countless examples of various men and women that God chose to take through difficult times in order to achieve his ultimate purpose. Any one of us who have been saved for quite some time know what it's like to go through difficult times of testing. We have all had, if I could put it this way, our wilderness experiences. Uh, every time I read this passage, I picture, uh, you know, the, the, the typical guy in the desert, right, where he's just struggling, and he's like, and there's just, you know, there's no water to be found, and he's just struggling. He's like, what is he looking for? He wants the water, right? He wants to make it, you know? And I think spiritually, at least I felt that way. I've been in times in my life where I'm like, man, God, this is a really dry time. This is a, this is a significant time of testing. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where that cool drink of water is, but I hope you bring it soon because I don't feel like I'm going to make it. And every time I read this passage, that's kind of the picture that comes to my mind. Um, but God's always faithful, right? He always provides. He sustains us. He takes care of us. And in those difficult times, we learn a lot of lessons about ourselves, and certainly we, we learn a lot of lessons about God and his word. So are you currently going through a difficult time of testing, and if so, how are you handling it? What lesson or lessons could God be trying to teach you? Has God put you in a position where he is your only hope of deliverance? Could he be teaching you to rely on him and his word alone? Times of testing will inevitably come in the life of any believer 
so what will you do when those times come, and will you rely on God and his word? So not only is there a danger of forgetting the Lord during times of testing, an even greater danger, and really, I think God's concern for Israel and for all of us this evening is the danger of forgetting God during times of blessing. And this is another thing, when I read this passage for the first time, I was like, smacked upside the head, because I never really thought about that. The sobering reminder this evening is the reality that God expects those who are being blessed, who are enjoying times of prosperity, to be as equally dependent on God and his word as those who he is testing. In verses 7 and 9, we see the Israelites enjoyed some pretty immense blessing. And though our blessings look a little bit different, we're going to talk about that. I think we can still learn some principles. How much blessings awaited the Israelites after their time of testing? In verses 7 and 9, the Lord, through the hand of Moses, highlights 21 blessings that awaited them. In contrast to the wilderness, the new land had an abundance of water, agricultural produce, fruits, oil, honey, minerals, copper. It was a land in which the people would lack nothing. So could somebody read verses 7 to 9? I don't remember. Jamie, thanks, bud. Uh, 7 to 10, I'm sorry. Yep, thank you. Thank you. Amen. Kind of speaks for itself, right? <laughs> in the rest of the chapter, we see that with this immense blessing comes a new warning. Don't forget God when you are blessed. One author says, there is a real inherent danger in abundant prosperity. Whereas in the wilderness, they had to depend on God for the necessities of life, their newfound prosperity might conceal. It might conceal their need for that same kind of dependence. So if somebody could read verses 11 to 18, whoever volunteered to do that. Thank you, Mrs. Bear. Amen. 
Once again, I feel like I can't say anything else. <laughs> the author says, once again, quoting another author, sufficient food would lead to satisfaction. Satisfaction would lead to security. Security would lead to self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency would lead to forgetfulness. Forgetfulness would lead to the disobedience. And disobedience would lead to the greatest disaster of all, the, the, the disaster of following other gods, which she read, which always leads to destruction. So verses 19 to 20 warn us once again that if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods, you will be destroyed. Imagine what a tragedy it was for the Israelites and what a tragedy it will be for all of God's children who allow the sufficient provision of God to lead them to become so forgetful that they would begin to go after other gods. There's nothing more sad to me and probably to you than when you run into an old friend at the grocery store or the beach or the park or wherever you run into people at. Uh, and you, or you see a post on Facebook or, or some kind of social media platform that would seem to indicate, indicate that uh, someone who used to enjoy the abundant blessings of God uh, in a community of believers is now chasing after other gods. But this is a warning for all of us, right? All of us have these little gods that pull on our heartstrings, right? I know I did. I know I do, <laughs> Any, any one of us here tonight is, is capable, in spite of all the blessings we enjoy, in spite of being connected to an amazing church, being surrounded by witnesses to God's goodness and grace and mercy and so many aspects of his character, right? We're too capable of going after other gods, and I think that's the real warning for all of us uh, in the conclusion of this chapter. I'd like to close this message by just sharing a few devotional thoughts that God's really brought to my mind. I hope these will be helpful. This is just kind of the way I think about this passage, and hopefully it'll, it'll instruct you and perhaps, uh, yeah, even challenge you if it does. As Christians in the United States of America, we truly are some of the most, if not the most, blessed and privileged Christians in the world. I know I certainly feel that way about myself, uh, maybe even of all time. In verses 6 to 10, God knew that sufficient provision of his children, children's needs could be a real danger for his people. Thus, he gave them, I believe he gave them the warnings to follow. As we close today, I would like us all to think about some of the amazing physical and spiritual provision of God in our lives. And as I rehearse the truths that stand out to me, I would just encourage you to do the same in your own mind as you kind of examine your own life and, and the things that you've been blessed with. A brief consideration of just a handful of our amazing blessings should in no way cause anyone to feel guilty. That's certainly not the intent of the text. God was thrilled to provide all these things, and I think he's thrilled to provide those things for us. So please, as we rehearse these things, uh, not one of us here should feel guilty. Uh, God's only heart for us as we consider his blessings is that we would be thankful and that we would always remember to depend on him in spite of these blessings. So what are some of the things that you probably enjoy? And I also just want to qualify these blessings. I, I, I recognize that some of us might not enjoy these blessings, right? I know enough people in my life that do struggle, that maybe they don't know where they're going to put their head on a pillow. You know, they struggle where their next meal. So I want to be sensitive to that because I don't know everyone who's here. But by and large, I think that most of us enjoy a lot of blessings from the hand of God. So this is just some practical application. We enjoy the safety and security of a house. 
we enjoy the roof, a roof over our head. We enjoy protection from the elements because of that house. We're thankful for that in Northeast Ohio, right? <laughs> protection from dangerous people. The privilege of knowing that the same house you left when you came to church is the same house you'll return to. Uh, I don't fear being displaced from my home, but there's Christians around the world, you know, that's a fear of theirs. We enjoy an abundance of food. I think that's pretty obvious, right? You literally can pull out of our parking lot, go right or left, and have many, many food options, healthy or unhealthy. I think Pastor Hobbes was sharing over lunch the last time we met that a missionary um, or someone was visiting from a foreign country, and they came and they walked him into a, a supermarket, and he looked around, and the kid was just, he didn't even know what to say. He was like, you know, what is this? Why did you take me here? Um, is this normal? And, and he said, no, this is normal in America. And then they walked outside. I think this is how he told the story. They walked outside, and he goes, now point in any direction. Where do you want to start walking? Where do you want to head? And I'll find you the same kind of store miles down the road wherever we go. And we really enjoy that, right, in America. I mean, the, the shopping options are pretty amazing. Technology, I know that's an easy one. I'm sorry. Uh, if you leave here hungry uh, you don't, uh, and you don't feel like going to the store, uh, you pick up your groceries uh, or you can, you can uh, pull up an app, right? You can order your food, have someone shop for you, uh, pick it up and go home. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Or even better, you can order your food and have them deliver it to your house which I think more and more people are doing. A lot of you are saying yes. What about parties? Uh, I like to party in a good way. <laughs> Pastor Tim, it's a good way. <laughs> we fellowship. I like to party and fellowship. We party in our house, birthday parties, holidays, get-togethers with friends, uh, great times. I'll just share with you uh, what we had at our Memorial Day party. Maybe you could identify with this. We had ribs, burgers, hot dogs. We had healthy hot dogs. We've got to have that nowadays. I don't even know what that is. I steer clear of that stuff. I want the good stuff. Watermelon, coleslaw, broccoli salad, baked beans, corn on the cob. Thanks, Mom. Uh, three different desserts, pop, water, lemonade, cornhole games, a good water balloon flight with people getting hurt, uh, Indians game, and some great family and friends to share it with. Most of us have a steady job or a successful career. Uh, if that gets compromised in any, any way, we really have a lot of opportunity, I think, to find something that will work for our family to at least be able to meet their needs. Most of us own a vehicle, some multiple vehicles. When my kids complain about driving in the car to grandma's, uh, I point out what a great problem it is to have a car to be able to drive us for such a long time. Uh, and, of course, they love hearing that. A simple thing about gasoline. I mean, how amazing is it to have fuel? I don't know what it would take to process gasoline myself, but I imagine I couldn't pull that off. Uh, so it's pretty awesome, I think, to be able to go to a gas station, put my hand on a trigger, fill up my vehicle, and be able to go, once again, wherever I feel like God wants me to go that day, to minister to someone, to go to my kids' games, to go see grandma and grandpa, to go pick up the groceries. That's an amazing blessing that I'm thankful for. All of you will go home tonight and lay your head on a, probably a somewhat comfortable pillow. In my house, I never know what pillow I'm going to have. Uh, my children like to steal my pillow, so I don't always have a comfortable pillow. When your pillow no longer is comfortable, within 10 minutes, you can go to five stores to find a comfortable pillow. Or better yet, you can order it on Amazon. If you were cold last night, you probably had access to multiple blankets. If you were hot, you probably just walked over to a thermostat and you clicked a button 
and within several minutes uh, or a half hour, you were cooled. You go to a faucet, and with no effort, you have as little or as much water as you want, as hot or as cold as you would like for periods of time. A machine washes or dries your clothes. You live within miles of some of the best doctors in the world. You have access to all kinds of medicine. And what about the vacations, the luxury, and recreational items we enjoy? God gave the Israelites a lot of blessings to enjoy, and he loves, he absolutely loves, I, I know he loves, doing the same for us today. God does not want us to feel guilty about all these blessings. He once again only asks that we continuously acknowledge and recognize that he is the one who has given us all that we have to enjoy. So the question I have for all of us this morning, especially me, and this is a question I ask myself constantly, and we rehearse this in our family, is has the abundant provision and the blessing of the Lord in your life caused you to forget to rely on God like you used to? Do you wake up each day amazed at God's provision, realizing that all the blessings in your life are a result of his goodness to you? Do you still depend on God like you used to when things in your life weren't going so well? Or have you become self-sufficient? How much does the thought of God consume your daily life? For a New Testament believer, a quick consideration of the amazing physical provision that all of us enjoy from the hand of God should motivate all of us to rely on God and appreciate him and his provision more. However, we must remember that our ultimate motivation for our dependence on God should be found in our amazement over the spiritual blessings in our lives. In passages like Ephesians 2, we are reminded of the amazing salvation we enjoy because of God's love for us. We are reminded that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were children of God's wrath. We were enemies, but God didn't leave us in that helpless and hopeless condition. Because of his great love for us, he provided a way of salvation through faith alone in the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So now instead of being an enemy of God, we are members, we are welcome members of his family. We are welcomed children. There isn't a more precious thing, and these are just some concluding thoughts, and I hope they'll be a help to you, and I hope they'll be an encouragement to you, and I hope they'll offer you tremendous hope. There's nothing more precious to me than having one of my children tell me how much they love me. There isn't a day that goes by where I don't long to hear those words. There's also nothing that I love doing more than providing for my children. And there's also nothing more special to me than when one of my children thanks me for something that I've provided for them. God is no different than you or I. God loves his children very much. He loves providing for his children, so much so, you know this, that he sent his only child to die on the cross for all of our sins. That's how much he loves you, and that's how much he loves me. And like you and I, he is very interested in having children that daily depend on him, that daily love him, that daily tell him how much they appreciate him and all the things that he does for them. And like you and I, I would just graciously say that it bothers him greatly when he is forgotten. If you feel like perhaps you've forgotten to rely on God like you used to, I want to leave you with tremendous hope because I don't want you to feel bad or, or excessively guilty. And I hope this silly illustration of me picking on one of my children will offer you that hope. He's too young to know that I'm going to pick on him, and hopefully he never watches this. <laughs> but one of my children, uh, perhaps my youngest son, if you know him well, 
he'll go on these stretches where he, uh, he can be an absolute stinker, right? We all know what that's like as we raise our children, where he shows little regard for me and for my words. In our house, it's the terrible threes. It's not the terrible twos. I don't know why they came up with that, at least in my experience. <laughs> my children, except Addison, she's kind of perfect, but the rest of them, <laughs> God knew I needed one like that. The rest of them, it's the terrible threes. Well, most recently, we were out of town for Seth Sand's funeral, and it was just one of those stretches. You know what it's like? You go on a trip, and the entire time, they're out of their comfort zone, they're out of their beds, and it's just, like, rough, right? 24 hours straight of just not obeying, even during the funeral service. Uh, he was pretty much off the hook. But on the way home, about 20 minutes into the trip, I hear out of nowhere, I love you, Daddy. Then again, I hear another, I love you, Daddy. <laughs> yeah, uh-oh, he's laying it on. Then I hear, I love you, Daddy and Mommy, right? And then he asks a really precious question. He goes, Dad, can you hold my hand? And then he really got on track, and he says, Dad, you're the best. Now, we know that that's not true. We know Mom's the best, but we rolled with that for a little bit, and we embraced that because <laughs> we all know that that's not true, but I loved every minute of it. So what is my reaction in those moments? When my son demonstrates that he loves me and appreciates me after stretches where he clearly doesn't, I don't beat him up. I don't rehearse all the ways he failed me that weekend. No, I reach out my hand and I assure him of my unconditional love for him. I welcome him back. And the minute we pull into our driveway, what do I do? I rip off my seatbelt, I open his door, I get him out of his car seat, and I give him the biggest hug and kiss I can, right? So if you're here tonight and you realize that in your time of blessing or perhaps in your time of testing, you haven't really been relying on God like you used to, there's tremendous hope. God longs to forgive you and he longs to welcome you back into his loving arms. And if you're here tonight and you don't know if you are a child of God, you're not sure that God is your father, God's hand is also extended to you. Long before he meets your physical needs, he longs to meet your spiritual need through faith alone in his son. God longs to meet the greatest need in your life, the need for forgiveness and the need for eternal life and a home in heaven with him. He absolutely longs to do that tonight if you don't know him as your savior. So I hope if you don't know that, you'd reach out to Pastor Tim or someone that you came with or anyone here tonight and we'd love to show you the hope that you can find so that you can have your ultimate need, your physical need met by the love of Christ and his sacrifice for you on the cross. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the privilege of opening your word, Lord. Uh, Father, it's so easy to agree with these truths on a Sunday night when we, when we uh, are surrounded by so many great people, when we're listening to your word. But you know on Monday morning we're going to struggle with this, Lord. Uh, so I pray that as we, we go out into the world and we, and we face reality and, and we're tempted to forget to rely on you, both in our times of testing in the seasons of blessing that we enjoy, Lord, that we would always be mindful that you're in both of them and that we would always love you, that we would cling to you, that we wouldn't forget you, and that we would daily, moment by moment, rely on you and your word, and that we would certainly always remind ourselves of how much you absolutely love us, and you prove that every day, and you prove that most of all in the death of your son for our sins. So I pray that we would rehearse that often and we would be changed by that often as well. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.